Welcome to the Cowcast, episode 44, Dan DiDio. Well, we are back. True to form, I think our goal was once a month for the year of 2020. Two episodes, two we're months. Close. So far, so good. Uh, yeah. I so, mean, well, we're, yeah, what's, what is today, the 25th? All day. Yeah. Or whatever's left of it. So I'm we Eric. days to get it out. Yeah, I'm James. And we're here. And we decided we should take a few minutes to talk about Mr. Dan DiDio, and what has come up at DC Comics. Well, not only that, it it it's a perfect follow-up to what we talked about last time. Now, we had talked about a lot of uh, topics having to do with trades and collected editions and whatnot, but a lot of them ended up coming back to Dan DiDio. And, uh, you know, we I guess we should preface all of this by saying... We're we're never cheerleaders for anyone losing their job. No, not by any not by any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, um, a lot of the problems. Some might even say almost all of the problems that we had as a as a store, as a business trying to sell DC comics, not necessarily from a, a reader perspective, although that certainly factors in were caused by Dan DiDio in some roundabout way, influenced in some way, shape, or form. Right. Ultimately, directly rolled up to him as the head decision maker. Yeah, correct. Whether he decided to move forward with something or decided to stop it, ultimately, and that's that's what we talked about you and I a little bit earlier today, is that that's part of the role of an executive, right? It comes to you, and rightly or wrongly, you're ultimately the one held responsible, because even if it's not you that draws the art that shows the Batawang, you are ultimately the one responsible for the employees underneath you. Captain goes down with the ship. Exactly. Well, we have... Unless you're the Costa Concordia. Then the captain gets off the ship as quickly as possible. But I think that captain may have been prosecuted. (laughs) Yes. So he's still going down because of his ship. (laughs) But with the D.O., so I I don't think we've ever really done this, but if you have not listened to the previous episode... It may be worth doing just to get our insights on how DiDio and the decisions that they made with regards to the collected editions and what they chose to reprint and not to reprint have affected us as retailers. Because we, we um, you know, I, I see every facet of the whole Dan DiDio uh, saga online in the last couple of days. And from everyone posting how much they love Dan DiDio to the people that were posting good riddance to Dan DiDio. We're not... Again, we're, we're just coming at it from a retailer perspective and how with the breakdown currently in our store is heavily Marvel. Right. And, you know, a fraction of DC. I mean, if it was up to DC to pay our bills, we, we would be out of we business. We would have been out of business last year. Marvel is paying the bills. Right. And um, 
And that's not and that's not to say that we don't desire to have DC be an equal part of that bill payment, right? We we want to see an equal share of the market. We we want DC to be strong as well as Marvel. And I think before we go too much farther, I just want to kind of baseline the discussion to say both you and I know Dan. We've shared many conversations with him mm-hmm. over the few years that we've been retailers. And I and I believe I say for you just as much as I do for myself, you won't find another person that's more passionate about selling comics. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that decisions that were made were the most advantageous for selling them, but as a figurehead, as a person who's out there to champion the cause, as someone who's out there to rally the troops, he's probably one of the best in the business. Well, a lot of people called him, or or kind of referred to him as DC's version of Stanley, only because he he was the face of the company for for a long time, I mean, for at least ten years, yeah, you know, and then about twelve years, another five years, and kind of a different capacity. But he's been with DC for a long time, and he's been guiding the ship for for a long time. Uh, he he's not um, he's not really a Stanley in the way that in the way that Stanley was right. a Stanley. Not to sound goofy about it, but but in a modern comics era. When you look at Marvel Comics, you said, oh, Stan Lee. When you looked at DC Comics, you said Dan DiDio, because he was the one out there doing interviews. Well, he, he made him, but he, right, he made himself the right. face of it. it. It wasn't it wasn't some de facto thing. He decided he was going to be the face of DC and the voice of DC, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, how often, uh, if if you look at, who is his co-publisher? Jim, Jim Lee. Lee. In the la- from the last 10 years, if you really think about any major DC decision and anything that and any time there was an interview given or there were questions asked or a statement issued about one of these big decisions do you think of Jim Lee or do you think of Dan DiDio you know uh, it was it's always DiDio DiDio right. was a um, he was a guy that had a lot of energy he did have a lot of passion and yes he loved comics and that's what a lot of people brought up in the last couple of days is that dan didio you know nobody loved comics more than Dan, and that's great he loves the art form he loves a lot of the characters he doesn't love a lot of the characters that i grew up with he certainly doesn't love sidekicks as, <laughs> as an attempt uh you know to kill them off has shown but um but you know he's a guy that's got a lot of passion and, and our experiences with dan didio mine most recently back in was that november that i was in minneapolis yep um I think it was, yeah, I think it was back in November I had, it was, because we had that giant snowstorm I had to drive through on the way back, which is a pain. But anyway, um, you know, my my conversation with DiDio at that point, uh, kind of a one-on-one conversation that I had with him for about 10 minutes was really talking to him about the issues that we were having selling their books. And I told him at that point, I said, we're about 75%. Well, be- between the big two, of course, you factor in Image and everybody else, and the numbers change. But between Marvel and DC, we're seventy-five percent Marvel, twenty-five percent DC. And I said, I-, I told him that these are the problems that we're having, and I don't want you guys to cannibalize Marvel's market share. I said I want you guys to be even. I want Marvel to stay where it is, and I want you guys to, I want DC to to rise to the challenge. And he just was not, you know what, uh, he wasn't receptive to the to the 
ideas that I had. And, I, and who am I? You know, some guy from one store in the cheese state. But at the same time, it showed that I didn't. I didn't get anything from him when I was talking to him that that told me that he would take any of the stuff that any of the advice or the ideas or the thoughts that I had, and that he would do anything with them, make any changes or anything. And um, you know, I'm telling you, I think the the biggest thing was, Didio had a vision. Whether that vision was good or bad, it was his vision, and he was not going to deviate from it. He didn't like incentive variants, okay? Marvel does. He didn't like reprints. He didn't like facsimiles. He didn't like um, the dollar comics. He, he just didn't like those. He didn't like sidekicks, like you said. He didn't like Dick Grayson, Wally West, Kyle Rayner. He didn't like sidekicks. Um, there were a lot of things that he just... It wasn't part of his vision, and he wasn't going to listen to you. And uh, I think that was the big issue personally that we had was we we felt like we felt like Dan DiDio was the guy who kept going on a camping trip and wiping his butt with poison oak and all of a sudden complaining that it itched and we'd say well don't wipe your butt with poison oak and you keep doing it and you keep doing it and we're like well we see what the problem is why don't you stop wiping your butt with poison oak but he keeps doing it you know to the point where now he he was let go by Warner and um, and so yes, to, to encapsulate all this, Dan DiDio, he's a nice guy with a lot of passion, but he was not receptive to the way that comics have changed in the last fifteen years, and he couldn't look at the top publisher, he couldn't look at Marvel, and see that maybe yes, they're your competition, but they're doing something right. You know, he didn't want to hear it, he didn't want to respond to it, and that was the most um, stressful thing for us was that we kind of see what the problem is. Marvel knows what the problem is. Marvel, Marvel course corrected. They're doing things correctly. They're selling books for us, but DC just refuses to do it. Yeah, and I guess to kind of backtrack just a wee bit before we forge ahead, um, the note came out midday on Friday last week, which would have been the 21st? Um, correct. Yes. So on Friday the 21st, uh, we found out midday that Dan DiDio had been let go uh, or had stepped away from DC Comics. And at that time, we didn't know if it was his choosing, if he had been fired and whatnot. Um, It did later come out that he was fired, and as the term was used, he was fired for cause. Um, The rumor is... For creating a hostile work environment. Not hostile. uh, Fostering a poor work environment. Whatever. So I mean, well, it's but you know it's different. There were there were some. Staff You've been in departures. HR. I've been in HR. Just you gotta mind your p's and q's, I suppose. Yeah, there were some staff departures. There were some potential, and this some of this is is fact. Obviously, the departures are fact, and that's well documented. We won't get into that. Uh, and then there's some some potential rumor. Well, they had lost a lot of editors. Yep. And and part of the rumor mill is that there were some disagreements between some of the um, current and former top creative talent at DC and Dan, and this vision towards what has been either dubbed 5G, the fifth generation, whatever it's going to be. I I think if I had to make some guesses, I would think 
that AT&T slash Warner would probably have been looking at it and saying what I think a few of us have been saying for quite a while. How many how many grabs added do you need? You have had re- uh, the Flashpoint with New 52. You've got Rebirth. Well, but again... You had with, your cri- different crisis. But think about this with New 52. It was a hit out of the gate. And it fizzled. And quickly fell apart. Yeah. Right? Think about Rebirth. Well, but before Rebirth, you've got... Probably the oh, worst God. Dio Convergence. thing. No, no, DCU. Yeah, that's... DCU is all the deal. It's... Total failure. But that's the thing is here we can come up with a handful of things quickly. But you got to remember that DCU is editorially driven. The whole point of Convergence was they're moving from New York to Burbank, right? And they, was a that time was filler for two it was months. A, right. It was it was a stopgap, and, and it's not. It wasn't some editorial mandate. That we're going to tell this story, and we have to tell this this story by the state. Who was the creator that was supposedly spearheading that? Convergence. Yeah. Well, the, I think, I if I recall correctly, I think the main book was written by Tom King or co-written by Tom King. But um, but either way, I mean, DCU is a horrible misfire. Yeah. The New Fifty Two started out strong. It got a lot of. There's a lot of people that got into reading comics because of the New Fifty Two, but then it. It died out. DCU is uh, horrible. Um, then we then we went into um, we went into Rebirth, which was, and now again we're yes we're going according to rumor here. Yeah. But the rumor is that Rebirth was all a Jeff Johns idea that Didio was not. A, oh, let's go way. Let's go before the New Fifty Two. Let's talk about some of Didio's. Um, some of the crisis events. Well. I want to talk about one of my favorite comments that Didio ever oh. made. So, Infinite Crisis comes out, by written by Jeff Johns, of course. Uh, brings back Superboy Prime and the, the pre-crisis Superman and a lot of characters. And I liked it. I really enjoyed Infinite Crisis when it came out. Um, I still think it's a pretty good story, but the problem with that Dan Didio had was that Infinite Crisis was going to... At the end of the series, the Trinity, as they called them, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, were going to take a year off from being their respective superheroes for whatever reason. And there was going to be a book, a weekly book published called 52. And 52 was going to be a real-time story, a year in, in the DC Universe. It was written by Mark Wade. Grant Morrison, Jeff Johns, and Greg Rucka. And if I recall correctly, it was it was like plotted or storyboarded by Keith Giffen. So it was kind of a murderer's row of great writers, people that are associated with DC more than any other company. And it was an unbelievable book. If you've never read 52, it was great. Every, I, I think I'm... Probably more fond of the Morrison stuff than anything else, like the Mad Scientists on Oolong Island and everything. Um, Just because you like tea. Well, I, I like tea, but I, <laughs> I loved all the Mad Scientists. I thought it was great. But it was a really, really well-done story. Uh, it had a lot of different plot threads. It introduced the, um, the Kathy Kane Batwoman. It introduced Renee Montoya Question. It introduced a lot of, a lot of really uh, neat ideas and characters and... It was very well received, and I remember that was I was just excited about DC got had me excited about Infinite Crisis when it was coming out. 
to the point where when I used to drive to, to a shop to buy Infinite Crisis, I would sit in my car in the parking lot and read it before I would leave. I was that excited about it. And 52 managed to do that, 52 weeks in a row for me, where I was, I would buy the book and I would sit in my car in the parking lot and I would read it. And towards the end of it, because it was a very successful book, Didio um, announced that they were going to have a book called Countdown. And it was going to be a weekly book, and it was going to be called, they, they, as they got closer and closer, they announced the, the real title, which was Countdown to Final Crisis, which, of course, is the Grant Morrison book. And I'm not going to get into that, but Countdown uh, led to one of the most infamous DiDio quotes ever. Dan DiDio did not like 52. And when he was doing an interview about Countdown, which he was kind of masterminding, he said that Countdown was going to be 52 done right, which pissed off a lot of people. It pissed off a lot of the people that liked in 52 that really enjoyed it. It pissed off a lot of the creators that worked on 52, which was a great story. Countdown, as most people know, is not very well remembered. It's not fondly remembered. Um, and what it led into, Final Crisis, which was a Grant Morrison story, is also not all that fondly remembered. But the the problem is, DiDio was very tone deaf. And he didn't like 52. It didn't matter that it was critically acclaimed. It sold well. People loved the story. Countdown, which was going to be his baby, was 52 done right. And that made a lot of people very, very upset. And that right off the bat, I mean, that was, we're going on like, that had to have been, 12 years ago now that was one of the first instances i really associated dan didio with i mean i I didn't have a lot of thoughts about him before that but him coming out and and saying that about a book that i enjoyed gave me an initial sort of uh bad taste in my mouth about the guy you know like who does this guy think he is um so then you jump from that into as we said the new 52 then you have DCU convergence, which may not be Dan DiDio's fault. I mean, that was moving moving from uh, New York to Burbank uh, wasn't really his call. But then you had Rebirth, so Rebirth was supposedly, as if the rumors are true, Jeff Johns' idea. He didn't like. Uh, the, apparently, Johns wasn't fond of the idea of the new Fifty Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, is again, this is all you know speculation and rumor but um the dio apparently wasn't fond of the idea of rebirth and rebirth had this grand plan in that came out in the rebirth one shot uh which kind of ended with the hint of dr manhattan having something to do with the creation of rebirth or new 52 or something in some way shape or form right and you thought well holy crow you hear jeff johns is running the whole he, he's kind of a top-down running rebirth. He's he's guiding the creative teams. This is where the story is going to be after a year, after two years. This is what we're. This is the story we're telling, and it's leading up to, as we find out later, Doomsday Clock. Well, the the entire idea of rebirth kind of got, and all the rebirth branding and everything got shuttered in 2018. The whole rebirth just went away, and then they're just random DC titles again. And 
a lot of that, there's a lot of stuff that I think would be more on DiDio than on Jeff Johns. Now, Jeff Johns isn't perfect, but Johns certainly understands the characters, I think, a lot better than DiDio does. DiDio certainly likes a lot of the characters. Um, he's writing a Metal Men book right now. Right. He wrote OMAC. Um, <clears throat> Sideways. Sideways. You know, DiDio, he writes a, he writes a lot of these kind of Didn't he come in editing characters. Legion? Wasn't he one of the editors on the Legion books? He may have been. I'm not sure. But either way, you know, for us, Rebirth was, was a hit out of the gate. Yeah. And then again, about 2018, when they decided to lose the Rebirth branding and sort of go off on their own path, DC sales really fell apart. Yep. And, you know, a lot of that is is really down to DiDio and, and his inability. It, it's weird to me that you could take something that's working and decide it's not working well enough. We're going to fix something that's not broken. It seems to sort of be his M.O. Well, and, and I guess, so when you're caught up in the moment and you're ordering books and you're seeing things being delayed over and over again, and you start to look at, you know, Shazam and Doomsday Clock being Jeff John's titles, and both of those are running more and more behind as time goes, it really makes you ask the question of what is Jeff John's doing? Well, now with Dan DiDio gone, we start to hear some more of these rumor mill type things about some frustrations and disagreements between DiDio and Johns. And, and it DiDio does, and it, Snyder. And it doesn't sound like it was to the point of like shouting matches and anger, but just philosophical differences in belief of how things should be executed. And it, I'm not going to lie, it makes me second guess and go, well, you know, was part of that the reasoning of why certain things have been delayed? Was Jeff just not motivated to do it because of how DiDio was pushing the rest of editorial and the rest mm-hmm. of the direction of the books? Or... You know, was DiDio unintentionally or intentionally slowing down output of something so he could get an agenda through before the resolution of Doomsday Clock or whatever? So there's right. just Who, so many more questions that come up now. Who's correct between the guy that wrote the greatest JSA run of all time? All apologies due to Roy Thomas. I love Roy Thomas, but John's run on JSA is incredible. Green Lantern Rebirth. He did Green Lantern the Rebirth. Night. Um, yeah, I mean, Sinestro Core War. Yeah. I, but I was apathetic on Blackest Night, um, but John said he did a ton of great stuff. I mean, he he knows the characters, he understands the characters, and DiDio wrote Omac. You know, like I I I get that he's got a passion for comics, as people as everyone keeps saying, but Jeff Johns knows the characters better. He knows the universe better. Right. He knows storytelling better. There's no doubt about that. Um. I, I'm, I just don't understand why Johns was seemingly sort of pushed out, and DiDio kept in. Yeah, I don't get it. it, it it's it's still something that, that I haven't heard a good explanation for. Nope, same. I mean, we know that there was there was uh, between Snyder and DiDio. Snyder did not want any of the five G pieces being pushed through his uh, black label. Mm-hmm. You know, dark metal books and. Well, I think before we get to the five G, let's talk about some of the other. Since we're sort of going uh, in order here of a lot of the 
to Dio's sins according to how we see them and how they affect us. One of the biggest ones, and again, something that I talked to him about in uh, Minneapolis, was in the, the lack of incentive covers. Yep. And they, and I understand how I understand why they do this, but they say, or he told me that they prefer to have the open to order variant covers, um, and and not the incentives because they just don't feel like incentive covers are something that really moves sales for them. Then they haven't been looking at the markets for they, years. Well, well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna trace a little spider web here that's that's gonna tie some things <laughs> together. So he says that. Now I'm sitting here talking to him about how Marvel outsells them three to one at our store. When when we look at our overstock boxes, boxes where we have um, more leftover new books than can fit to the shelf, a lot of times it's because we have somebody who orders a 1 in 25 or a 1 in 50 or a 1 in 100 or a 1 in 500. And maybe we'll sell 40 of those. But if somebody orders a 1 in 500, we're going to price it accordingly, but we're going to order the book for them, right? So... DC doesn't really offer anything like that anymore. Maybe occasionally they'll have yeah, something. Yeah, a Frank Miller but, 799 book that's got a 1 and 250. Sure, or it's something where they'll take a book that normally has a Jim Lee cover and they'll have it be a black and white version Pencil of the Jim Lee cover. version. Well, whereas Marvel's throwing out like a, a Virgin Art Germ cover or something that, that, you know, that is going to sell the book. Anyway... You look at the overstock that we have as a store, we have far more overstock of Marvel books from the last one year than we do DC. Probably, actually, I'd say four to one. Easily, yeah. So you would look at that and you would go, oh my God, look at all these extra Marvel books you have. You guys must be hemorrhaging money. Well, Marvel's the the one. (laughs) Right. Marvel's the one who's A, giving us extra stock to sell. if, If for some reason we would blow through a bunch of Thor 705 or whatever it was that had the art germ cover that we sold 10 1 in 100 copies of. So that's 1,000 copies. Um, well, really, I guess 1,010 because we had to order the 10 You're 1 in right. 100s. But if you look at that and you say, okay, let's say we, we sell the 1 in 100s uh, and maybe 50 of the regular covers and then the 1 in 25s and the 1 in 50s in there. We're making far, far, far more money off of selling those than if we were to just sell 100 DC books at three ninety nine at a 100% sell-through. And guess what we've got books left over on? The Thor. And, and now, for some reason, if there's and a big run And guess what continues of, to sell? Right. Thor. <laughs> right. I mean, we get all of a sudden, we have, they announced a Jane Foster Thor, so we've got you know, 700 copies or whatever in the back room of this Art Germ Thor cover where it's a really great cover and it's Jane Foster Thor taking her helmet off. And all of a sudden we get people coming in looking for this book. Like, yeah, we've got it. So we're, I mean, we've probably sold 100 copies of it in the last, since whatever that announcement, the movie announcement right. was. Um, and and we were way in the black on that book before that. Right. We were in so, the black and we put them in the back right. room. So what incentive covers do for a store like us is it enables us to make more money up front and enables us to order more product from the comp- from the publisher so Marvel's making more money. It gives us a long- longer longevity on sell-through on the product. 
so we're not going to be caught unawares. Can you imagine? And this is something that I don't really think that we've done a podcast about this since it came out. But there's two books that I really want to cover where DC completely dropped the ball on it. The first one was last year, Batman Last Night on Earth, the Scott Snyder book. We sold, yeah. we ordered three times our number of regular Batman for that I book. If I remember right, it was three times our Scott Snyder Batman. Yeah, it was something like that, but it, it, it was a large amount, and we sold out like in the first week. Mm-hmm. And DC didn't have another printing ready to go for a long time after that. We had people coming in looking for it. It was like a $6 book. They did not have... No, they had an A cover, and they had a B cover. But they did not have a 1 in 10, 1 in 25. They did not have an incentive cover. Right. So let's say that we ordered 75 copies of that book. If they had had a 1 in 100, we would have said, well, let's just... We're at 75. Let's order 100. Because then we're going to get an extra one in 25, an extra one in 50, and an extra one, and then we're going to have a one in 100. They didn't do anything like that. So we sold out. Okay, that's a great problem to have. Right. We sold out right. of a, a 5 or $6 dollar book. 100% sell through is never a bad thing. Great problem to have. But the problem is, we had, and we've talked about this before, where we have a lot of stores who we're friendly with right. that'll run out of a, a book and they'll ask if we have any. Or vice versa. If we run out of a book, we'll ask them. We had everybody, every store that we knew that we're friendly with was was asking us, calling, texting, emailing, do you have any copies of Last Night on Earth? We're completely out. Well, we were all out. Everybody was out. Missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. I want to go to the big one. And you know what this book is. This is the one that I've been saying. And this is the one that I talked to DiDio about, which had its own share of problems. But the biggest missed opportunity that DC had was Batman Damned, number one. Batman Damned, everybody knows the controversy with that book, with the bat penis, whatever. Um, what they did with that book, a book that they sh- that they kept talking about how much they believe in, they didn't have a 1 in 25. They didn't have a 1 in 50. They didn't have a 1 in 100. Had they had something like that, there are a couple of things that would have happened. Let's say that Batman Damned happened the same way that it did but it had 1 in 25s and a 1 in 100. If the book had gotten as popular as it did, the existence of a 1 in 25 and a 1 in 100 may have driven the price of the A and B copies down or kept them lower to be approachable for people that just wanted to buy the book to read it. And it would have created an excess supply because stores that order incentives, as we've just talked about, tend to reach... Higher right. you take to get those step. incentives. So with Dam number one, maybe we ordered fifty copies. But if they had had those incentives, maybe we would have ordered a hundred. Right. So we shoot it. We 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 wouldn't be shooting ourselves in the foot by running out of a book. We would have extra copies on the shelf. This is in DC's best interest. Right. Which is what again what Marvel does: flood the shelves with copies of books that you believe in. They didn't do that. Um, they they could have had more copies of that book on the shelf for the people that are walking in off the street to buy Batman Damned. We wouldn't have we wouldn't have been caught as unaware. We wouldn't have we wouldn't have run out as quickly. The speculator market would have been very different because people would have been going after the one in one hundred, the one in twenty five, or the one in fifty, and that one the the normal A or the Jim Lee B cover, the price might have been kept artificially lower so that your average person maybe they're only paying ten dollars for it instead of fifty. Right. You know, and there 
And again, the fact that they chose not to reprint it, they left a lot of money on the table. Yeah, even just go back and change the panel. Like, if if you don't want to show what's there, which, you did it for the hardcover. Which, yeah, I know. I I think that there there were some issues that they had supposedly with the contract with Azarello as far as changing him. Or, is or is or the Bermejo. rumor? I think it was Azarello. Well, e- either way, you found a way to make it work for the hardcover. Yeah. Well, so you don't tell me that you couldn't. Well, find and a way to and make for it the work. digital because right. it was same day digital right. was edited. But my point my point is that the the lack of incentive covers. And this is what what some people, no pun intended, but damn Marvel for, is that they flood the shelves with with their books. But guess what? When we have people coming in looking for those books, we tend to have them. Right. And and guess what? If DC doesn't do that, and we don't have DC books, most of the time, if people are coming in, I shouldn't say that. More often than not, when people come in, they're looking to make a purchase because they want to read something. Yeah, we. I mean, we do get speculators, but but if, that man if damned. But if you don't have a DC book on the shelf and somebody wants to read some, they're more than likely going to grab Marvel, right? Or Last Night on Earth, or whatever it was. Um, those were books people were after because they wanted to read them because yep. there was buzz, yep. not hype, but buzz. It was right. positive. People wanted those books, and we couldn't get them for them. So that's a big issue. Now, when I was talking to Dan about this, he was telling me that he didn't that he wasn't a fan of the incentive variance and and that he didn't think it was something that they necessarily needed to do. Well, we also happen to be on some retailer message boards. Right. And on one of them, about a week ago, uh, as most people listening to this now know, Batman 89 got super hot because of this character named Punchline, who is the new... Girlfriend, of girlfriend the of the Joker. So everyone thinks she's going to be the new Harley Quinn. So it's a hot spec book. I mean, Batman eighty nine is like a thirty dollar book for the cameo first full appearance in this year. The villain three uh, is like forty dollars right now. It's it's insane. We got caught with our pants on. We didn't order very many for for the shelf. Well, the good news is all the information came out after final order cutoff. R- yeah, so that's so, really helpful for everyone. So to give you a little bit of insight on. What's going on on these retailer-only boards? Um, we a lot of a lot of stores were very upset, and they said, "You guys knew you released it the 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 week after, a couple of days after FOC. You released it. The Joker's new girlfriend was going to be in this book. You could have helped us to to put better orders in. That's her cameo. Yeah, it's just one <laughs> panel. Um, instead, you're choosing to kind of cater to the speculators, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Well, DiDio actually weighed in on this, on the DC boards, which he has uh, since been removed from. Uh, and the guy that I know, I don't remember, I'm not going to use names, but the guy that started the post on Facebook was talking about how with DC's market share being what it is, DC needs to really think about this stuff before they, you know, before they send these books to final order cutoff, they need to get retailers this information. Well, the Dio didn't take all that kindly to that. Right, right. And Instead, he, was, he got offended. Yeah, and he kind of left a little snarky message saying, like, uh, um, you know, and in regard to our numbers, they're not maybe they're not as bad as you think, or something like that. And uh, numbers well, can just a, be, yeah, don't don't read into what those numbers are. It was just some real. 
kind of barbed a response to say well, he, the numbers that you're getting from Diamond aren't the aren't he, the real. Yeah, fact. he said numbers can be manipulated. Yeah. That's exactly what he said. And um and followed that up a little bit later uh when somebody was asking him some some follow-up questions uh, because now the Comics Pro uh conference was this past weekend in Portland. And uh, he followed that up by saying he wasn't going to be at, Co- at Comics Pro. For the first time in his entire tenure. Correct. Because he had an appointment in New York that Friday. We'll get back to that. <laughs> uh, but, again, like I said, this is going to be a big spider web. But it's all going to come together. So, he was saying that the numbers aren't as bad as you think. Don't believe them. We're actually doing quite well. Etc. Etc. Uh, the numbers came out. Actually, like uh, a week and a half ago for for January, the 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 um, the diamond market the diamond share. market share came out. Now this is where things are really really interesting because Wonder Woman seven fifty came out in January. Guess what Wonder Woman seven fifty had? A lot of variants. It had a lot of variants, but what did it actually have that DC almost never does that we were just talking about? It had a one in it had a one in one hundred ratio variant, so it it and it had uh, what they did with action and detective, which were were decade variants, where they have an artist for every decade since the character came out that right. does a variant cover, kind of stylistically matched to that decade. So you know the you get uh, Brian Boland for the eighties or. Um, you know Adam Hughes for the 2000s and etc cetera, etc cetera. so guys that are sort of identifiable and iconic for the era that they were that they were in and well and obviously you're not going to get like uh the 40s artists so they would have like I think Josh Middleton did a 1940s right. cover and whatnot it's also it also was a $10 cover price book it was a big thick square bound book and uh it so it had one cover for every decade and a blank cover, and then a regular A cover, and a uh, one in one hundred incentive variant. So I think it had, um, it had about twelve or thirteen different covers for a ten dollar book. Now here's where things get really interesting. When you look at these numbers, and I'm sure we're not telling anything new to uh, a guy like John Mayo, but anybody else listening. Well, you should listen to John Mayo's podcast anyway. You should, the but, comic book page. But Diamond reports these things as unit market share, which is uh, the amount of books shipped. The percentage of units shipped by publisher to retailers as retailers Correct. order. So it's not not sell through to customers. It is sell into retailers. It doesn't reflect anything about a customer walking into a shop. It's right. purely stores ordering from Diamond. And then the retail market share. Which is going to have the share of retail dollars? Correct. So if you sold uh, in in one month, if you had a let's say your dynamite and you put out a uh, twenty five cent red Sonia book and you sell one point five million, you'll probably win unit market share, but you're going to get creamed on the retail, retail market. Yeah, yeah, the dollar share. Well, DC because they had whatever it was thirteen Wonder Woman covers uh, at at ten dollars a piece owned unit market share and the dollar share and that's been the trend for about the last year right they owned it by a large margin but the next the next thing and this is where things get really interesting um 
or I, I should say that they had the top selling book. I apologize. Yeah. Um, but Marvel owned, yeah, Wonder Woman took it in units shipped and by dollars invoiced. But when you go to the overall numbers for the month, um, when you go to the overall numbers, go back to the top. Oh, top. Sorry. Yeah, right there. So I so when you go to the retail market share, Marvel is thirty nine, almost forty percent, and DC's twenty nine, and then you go to the units shipped. Marvel's forty, almost forty seven percent, and DC is just shy of thirty. So they had they owned the top spot with units shipped for a, for a book, which is Wonder Woman seven fifty, and dollar amount for a ten dollar book, and they still lost by 10 and 15% respectively. Could you imagine how bad DC would be doing in the market if you took that one book out? If if Wonder Woman 750 hadn't shipped in January, how bad would they be doing to have the top-selling book in units shipped and the top-selling book in dollars and still come in that far behind Marvel? Something is seriously wrong with, that, with, with the company right now. Um, and... You, you kind of draw all that back where, you know, DiDio says a week ago, the numbers are fine. Uh, the numbers are being manipulated, etc., etc. He hates incentive variants. Well, they do an incentive variant. They take the top spot with their Wonder Woman book. The other thing that I want to point out came out um, was Birds, the, the Harley Quinn movie, which tanked, which did not do very well. So... You have this sort of perfect storm where all these things have been happening. Uh, you you get DC putting out a giant book and taking the top book again for the month in both categories, but losing in both categories overall to Marvel. You have a, a huge movie like um, Joker, who uh, Joker won a bunch of Academy Awards yep. and made a billion dollars globally. Joker didn't affect comic sales one bit, unfortunately. Birds of Prey or Harley Quinn, they renamed it. It yeah, was the, what the Birds of Prey and the Emancipation of One Fantabulous Harley Quinn. Well, that was the original name, which was just horrible. Yeah. So they renamed the movie. Um, did really badly. Now, internationally, it was it, talk about your perfect storms. A lot of movies that bomb domestically rely on international markets to make up kind that of amount. Bully, bully the right the poor showing. Well, what they couldn't contend with was. The coronavirus, which is making sure that nobody, nobody in, goes out, <laughs> especially in China, which is your biggest international market, nobody's going to see movies. Everybody's staying inside. So uh, I think it made like two billion opening weekend in China, or two million, I mean, which is terrible. Right. Um, so thirty-two million here, two million in China. The whole movie's you know a disaster as far as far as sales go. I don't. You have to. That had to have sort of maybe weighed in a little bit too on. I and this, this is just a theory, but I wonder if that movie's poor performance finally made AT and T or Warner or whoever it is go, hey, what's the what are these what's the what's comic, comic company thing doing? Going on? Yeah, like they've been able to kind of they literally scoot under, under the, the radar, I would assume. Right, ever since the day of days of Paul Levitz, but um, I wonder if this movie bombing so much is finally what made them what made them say, let's let's get a magnifying glass and see what's going on here. Um, that combined with these these numbers that came out for January, where again they had the top book, 
But which, they lost out big time, and which isn't as bad as what the August numbers were. Um, pull up the August numbers here. I will gladly. Uh, Marvel won the dollar share forty six percent to twenty four percent. They won the unit Ooh. share fifty percent to twenty six percent. Ooh. So I mean, like this is not a new thing. This is a reoccurring trend. DC hasn't, I don't think, has been over thirty five percent in at least six months. In either market or retail, yeah, I mean it's it's horrible. I, and that's not the way we want it. it no, we we wanted to do well, and but you you take all these things and you put them together. If if I were an executive at at Warner Brothers, I would I would say there was a serious problem here. Yeah, and 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 his un and the biggest thing again is his unwillingness to be receptive. To deviate from his own plan. Right. He he's got like we said, he's got a vision, and he'll be gosh darned if you're gonna tell him that his vision's not going to work. We have for for so long we have seen what again to go back to the trades, they're the only company that has made us give money back to customers. No, Marvel doesn't do it. No, but repeatedly repeatedly and that is he could be the nicest guy in the world he could be santa claus and jesus combined but the guys making us hand money back to customers they're not taking they they suffer no repercussions from that all they have to do is cancel an order all they have to say sorry order code has been canceled we're going to send out another dc direct email on friday canceling these four hardcovers it doesn't affect them the money hasn't been spent they haven't gone to to print with this stuff we've taken money because they've solicited a book months out right so when when i go to him and i tell him dan this is a problem where you are destroying the dc customer's faith in your ability to actually follow through and release a product and and he sort of brushes it off that's a problem to me because i I have nothing to tell our customers to say hey guys you really should pre-order this omnibus because I think it really will come out. It's, you know, I don't. I don't know if it's going to come out. And at this yeah. point, I would almost rather take. I would take a risk, and say just when it comes out, buy it off the shelf, because I don't want to have to hand a hundred bucks back to somebody. It's it's annoying. It's frustrating. It screws up your numbers. It's not an easy thing to keep track of. Yep. Um, but it makes you sell your or. or uh... Bring in your entire Starman run right. of single issues because you're counting on the omnibus that gets canceled. And by the way, half of those Starman issues are sold now. Right. I don't even want to no. get into that one again. <laughs> but no. I, I. But again, I. I mean, without beating a, a dead horse the entire time here, it's like we've 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 seen the problems and we've literally we had literally talked to him about the problems, and and he just didn't he didn't care. I think. He he had an idea. He had his vision. This is where we're going to go with it. This is what we're going to do. Oh, it's not it's not good for you as a retailer. We don't care because we're trying to get books into Walmart. Right now, we I made the point yesterday. Uh, I have just in there on my shelf. I have the the book about the seventy eight DC implosion, which uh, I and I had even said to uh, to our friend John Mayo that I wonder what. If the internet was around in 1978, what, what would social media have said about the DC implosion when they fired 40% of their staff and canceled 40% of their titles? Which, 
is much worse than whatever they just did right now with Dan DiDio. Uh, but really, if you look, there are some striking parallels. Uh, the DC implosion was sort of preceded by f- flooding the market with a bunch of 100-page giants and a bunch of titles that I can't say that no one asked for, but that a lot of people didn't ask for. Largely weren't received well. Correct. And, you know, and there were a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, like vanity projects coming out back then, editors writing books and things like that. And, you know, much like DiDio writing books that would normally fall under the threshold of, uh, of cancellation. cancellation. Um, and, and we're pushing 100 page giants all of a sudden again, DC is. And it's just kind of weird to see this, this parallel, um, and that's but they're doing it this time it's 100 page giants done right yeah yeah <laughs> but no I, I guess my big spider web here is that there's this there's this string of this pattern of behavior for almost a decade now and it's like the Dio was a, he was like a concept guy he'd come up with all these ideas and there was no follow through no follow through, no commitment to seeing them through and making sure that they were supported. Or and, if there, if it, the other side of the coin, and we don't know because we're not sitting in that Burbank office to hear. Yeah, hit me. The other side of the coin could be that he just has too many ideas and is always shifting ideas and never settling and just going with one. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's just as bad though. Oh yeah, no, totally. no doubt about it. So. But it's it's really weird, and and you, we know that as we had mentioned, Comics Pro was going on at that time. Um, that the guys, the DC guys at Comics, but by the way, the DC sales and marketing team. I know we've sung their praises a lot, but they're great guys. They're all they great are. guys. They're hardworking guys. Uh, they are generally quite responsive. Quite responsive. Yeah. Just going to say that they'll get back to us. They'll help us out. Um, they didn't have any idea that they, they found out. Through, uh, was it Bleeding Cool? Yeah, I think it was something like that. While they were at Comics Pro. Now, all this to say, we want to jump into maybe the the number one thing that's come out of this whole DiDio firing, which is the rampant clickbait articles that are everywhere. This is when we put in our clickbait headline, right? Yeah, I came up with with one earlier. Yeah, and I had one earlier, too. Robert Kirkman now is running uh, DC Comics. So I no. I was thinking maybe on well, I, it's better I don't say it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so here's here's the thing: a lot of people are I have been getting from from friends, from family, from customers. People have been sending me all these articles. Did you see that Marvel's going to buy DC? Yeah. Did Did you see this? Did you see, like no? None of this stuff's going to happen. It's it, this is all just it's it's all clickbait. Nobody, you know, Ethan Van Skyver. Look, I love the guy's art. But he is a uh, he is a BSer of the highest caliber. There's no doubt about it. He you know he's he's got a he's got a bone to pick with DC. He's there's no doubt about it. Um, I, again, I love his art. I, Rebirth is a great story. But uh, if he's going on and saying that he heard from this person deep inside uh, DC or Warner that uh, if 5G fails, they're going to sell off the publishing division, like. Jim Lee didn't know it. DiDio certainly didn't know it. None of the 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 Bob Harrison know it. None of the sales and marketing guys knew it. Um, but Van Skyver, who's 
like a pariah to the company has some deep mole in the company who's telling him all this stuff that nobody else knew. It's not believable. I like Van Skyver's art, but the guy needs to don't listen to him. And then you get all these other people to the whole thing about they're going to, that Marvel's going to take it over. I've got a contact that told me Marvel is going to start taking over running DC stories. It's clickbait. There's nothing. Right. No, the only thing we know is Dan DiDio was let go. That's it. Jim Lee doesn't know what's going on. Maybe he does now, but at the time he didn't. The only thing that we know that that we that we know is that DiDio's gone. Right. They haven't even DC has not done a press release. They haven't done anything official about DiDio being gone. Um, everything that we've seen has been unofficial. There, there's been literally no official press release from Warner, AT&T, and especially from DC about Dan DiDio is no longer in charge. This person is. We just sort of know de facto that Jim Lee right now is went from being co-publisher to being publisher or interim publisher or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I there's... Don't believe anything right now, and the, don't and don't go, don't go spreading rumors that all of a sudden uh, DC's closing its doors. You understand again? Look at it from a from a publishing perspective and a corporate perspective. Couple of things. First off, AT and T owns Warner Brothers, that owns DC Comics. Why would they possibly decide? That they're going to give their publishing division to Disney. It's just not... It would never, ever, ever, ever happen. It would never happen. Uh, these companies that, that are this big don't do anything like this. With, I mean, this... It just doesn't happen. Right. It doesn't happen. Um, you would see it. You would hear about it in the Wall Street Journal before you heard it anywhere else it's but even then it's just it's not going to happen i can't stress that enough yeah i mean the only thing that i would say we can surmise from the timing and how everything worked is that something forced warner's hand to fire dan didio at 10 30 in the morning on a friday yeah that is not a normal time that you let someone go most commonly you let someone go in the middle of the week and you put them on a gag order, and, and you know the rest of the organization is on a gag order that knows, and a note goes out Friday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon when everyone's going home and no one cares. So the fact that it was done midday on a Friday, the only thing that I can believe is that there was some escalated factor that made them make that decision. Now, whether that's them, whether that's Dan, whether that's something else, we may never know. But one thing's for sure, the timing of it is awkward. Well, and we, yeah, we had talked about this earlier today and just kind of speculating, which here I am saying, you know, let's not speculate, but... But let's speculate. What the hell? We're going to speculate on this one. we got a podcast. I mean, come on. Someone's got to pay the bills. That, yeah, there you go. (laughs) That really, if you think about it, the fact that there is no, that they have no replacement lined up, they've issued no statement, no press release, that shows... They weren't to prepared me, for this. That they correct. This is not a, not some long gestating thing. Something caused it, like you said. Right. Something forced their hand. Uh, again, totally speculation on yep. our part. But the way that this is normally done, it, it, this is not how this is normally done. Right. You especially this high profile of a role 
you generally have someone either you've been grooming for two to three years to take it over or you've stolen someone from the competition from the outside and now it's time to make a shift and a change. Right. And, you know, I guess we can go into the uh, the whole Jim Lee thing briefly. A lot of people have asked the question or even some people have said, I didn't realize Jim Lee was a co-publisher. Well, Jim Lee has been focused pretty heavily on video game design right now. And backpacks. And backpacks. Good backpacks. But uh, we the have best a, backpacks. We have a customer who, who bought one. Yeah. Mr. Tim. Yep. And uh, he brought it in two weeks ago. And he looked at it. It's pretty darn cool. I mean, if I was carting a bunch of slabs to a C2E2 like he is, I'd buy one. Right. Um, so, But there's a lot of open questions right now. Will Jim Lee be the sole publisher? Will Jim Lee be retained as a publisher? Another question that is a valid question is, why is Jim Lee a co-publisher? Is it because Wildstorm was bought and it was written into the contract? Is it you know, Obviously, he's got a good experience from a business standpoint running his own imprint with Wildstorm. So there's there's no question there. But there's a lot of things surrounding that. Is Bob Harris going to be elevated to publisher? Is it going to be someone from the outside? Mm-hmm. We don't know. All we Well, I'll just say this. I'll give my thoughts and then you can give yours. For the next publisher... I would almost prefer it be someone maybe outside of the deep creative pool. Someone who is more focused on the business than focused on the creative. That's why you have editorial. That's why you have a chief creative officer. Oh, that's also Jim Lee. That's why you have those people in place. You're, you know, in my opinion, the role of the publisher is no different than the guy that is running publishing at uh, Reader's Digest. His job is to get as many books out there in as many people's hands as possible. Mm -hmm. And doing that using the mechanisms of publishing, whether that's variant covers, whether that's new avenues of sales, whether that's new packaging, whatever it is, uh, you could honestly say Robert Kirkman is a better publisher in some facets than Dan DiDio. How many things did Robert Kirkman bring out with Walking Dead that are now becoming more common across the entire industry? His different packaging of sizes of trades, hardcovers, compendiums, all those different pieces, he himself and the decisions he made have had a ripple across the industry in a positive way. Right? I'm not saying that Kirkman is a better publisher than Dan DiDio, but I'm saying that that's an example of someone who's actually looking at it from a business standpoint. How many ways can I repackage this and make money? Well, why don't we just look at David Gabriel who's doing it right? Exactly. And that's your main competition across the aisle. And that's a guy that got lambasted at New York Comic Con a couple years ago for creative decisions that he has zero control over. His job is put books on shelves. And damn it, he does it. And he is responsive to retailer requests. I sent him an email about those omnibus. He replied back more than six, seven, eight months later saying, check the latest previews. You've sent him requests saying, hey... We've got someone, you know, we've got some large numbers here. Can you flip a 1 in 500 variant or something like that, a virgin, and it happens? Mm-hmm. Or we can say, you know, like, hey, you know, this order 120% nonsense isn't working. We're okay with the ratios, but these <clears throat> threshold ones are becoming a pain in the butt. All of a sudden, those almost all completely disappeared. So he is responsive. and Right, and, and, that wasn't just, and that wasn't just us. It was a lot no. of people complaining about the same things. But exactly. But again, they did change, go in and change that, um, and that earns respect and trust. I yeah, I think with I think separating the business end of it from the editorial end is certainly uh, 
something that that should have been done a long time ago at DC. Um, but I do wonder if they're not better off just getting like a, like you said, just get it. I get the trains running on time guy, like get a gym shooter. Yeah. I've always, gym shooter is always the guy whenever somebody says, who do you think should ride? Just go gym shooter. Yep. Because he, he you know, he, he's a no nonsense. And dead is dead. Correct. Correct. And I just, I, I like, I like his, uh, his approach to things and, Certainly, he wasn't super popular in the industry from people because he held people accountable. Right. Right. And sometimes you need to be the jerk. Right. You know, and I, anyway, I, I don't know what, I don't, I guess I don't have a good idea how they can go forward as far as like, I don't have the perfect man for the job. Right. The, the obvious one that everyone brings up is, well, Jeff Johns has a, right. has a great appreciation for, as we've said, for the world, for the characters, for for the history of DC, but uh, that's not publishing books. It's that's correct. content. Correct. That's creative. So who do you get? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. But I know whoever it is needs to understand that the worst thing you can do is cancel books after you solicit them. After ignore, they go to final, final order cutoff. Yeah. Ignore the retailers that are that are a giving you suggestions about and this is the other thing we're we're saying this is we're not telling somebody that we think we think this might help sell some books we're saying those guys over on the other side of the street that are creaming you sales wise this is how they're doing it and we're can playing please, into it can you please do this and and they're saying no right uh here's something that, something very interesting uh i was told that the the explanation for that Didio gave for why they took so long to do facsimiles uh, when Marvel had been doing them for years was because their legal department told them that reprinting those those original stories uh, as a whole and reprinting the advertisements in those stories open them up to potential lawsuits because they're reprinting advertisements of companies that they haven't gotten the authorization to reprint. Well, like Atari ain't coming after you anymore, you know? <laughs> and you think who, when, when people make jokes, I'm going to say besides Scientology, who are the lawyers that everyone in the world fears the most coming after you? It's Disney, Disney. right? <laughs> Disney's been putting these things out for half a decade. Yeah. You're okay to do it. So I don't know if when Didio was saying that, I don't know if that's covering his butt after he took a lot of flack for saying he doesn't like facsimiles because they're books that, that you know, they're not selling new content. That what, Was that what he said? Some of the effect of how he was frustrated that facsimiles outsold new books because they weren't relevant. Yeah, something like that. So I don't know if, if that... You know, well, legal told me we can't do them. I don't know if that's a cover or not. If it's not a cover, it certainly well, then seems to have been worked out. It certainly seems to have been. And we've been selling a lot of them. Yeah. Well, here's a great example. There's a Flash 123 facsimile that comes out tomorrow. Flash of two worlds. Correct. The 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 first appearance of Earth Two. Big huge book, right? We ordered more copies of that facsimile than we did both covers of the last issue of Flash. Now, the the other Flash is going to come out monthly. This facsimile is a one-and-done thing. 
but we ordered most likely um, a final printing. Yeah, <laughs> but no. But if you think about it this way, DC managed to sell us an extra month's Flash in the same month. Yep. And according to Dan DiDio, that's a negative. Yep. And yet, the, and then they pull. I don't. I don't understand their thinking. There's certain books that you can get away with doing that and putting a three ninety nine cover price on. Flash one twenty three is one of them. That's a very expensive book, especially in high grade on you know in the secondary market, mm-hmm. and arguably one of the most expensive modern comics of recent age. Batman Adventures twelve yeah comes out with a one dollar reprint. Well, and the the other one dollar reprint that was a little baffling that they just did was the uh, reprint of New Teen Titans 2, the first Deathstroke. Yeah. Uh, that one, I mean, that's a that's a big book. That's a yeah. big book, but if it was three ninety nine, we could have sold... We, we would have sold probably the same amount, but we would have made a lot more. Same thing with Batman Adventures 12. I mean, there's a ton of people that want that first Harley in their collection. Yeah, but either either way, the, the point being made here is you know, we, we sell a lot of these books either way, and we're telling them we want to give your company money to get us money to get product in the hands of consumers. And DiDio, for whatever reason, didn't like that. He he just said his vision was going to be better. Yep, his well, his vision, his vision over 10 years led to diminishing returns. And I get that there are a lot of people that love a lot of the DC books under DiDio. And I've liked a lot of the books that have come out under his tenure. But if you look at it long term on a, on a, on a long enough scale, on a 10-year scale, DC's sales have tanked. And you just can't You can't, you can't keep inventing it. yourself to the top by rebooting your universe. Right. Now, what, whatever... And really, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about 5G. And I don't even... I actually don't think that we should. I don't think it's relevant to talk about it all that much because we don't know the details. We don't know. Well, all we know are the pictures that Dan DiDio sprinkled out there at various conventions and Facebook drops and Twitter or whatever drops. There's that big timeline. There's the timeline and then there's the scattered books on the desk and a couple other things. And then you've got the free comic book day book that's coming out. Is it the silver or the gold? Zero generation. Generation zero. (laughs) Yeah, that one's coming out. I mean, so we have enough teaser. We've also heard that 5G has been, uh, could be rebranded to one of a number of different things, Gen 5, whatever. I, I guess the open and honest question in the room that, again, should come with maybe some of this resolution from Warner with Dan DiDio is, what is this whole 5G thing? Is it going to happen? Is it, because if it was just a Dan DiDio pipe dream, you know, something like that, that may have just that baby might have gone out with the bathwater. No, I think it's still happening. All the um, all the big rumor sites are saying it's going to be business as usual. Uh, and I and I again I, you know, content wise, we don't know enough to really to really say anything about it. I guess, and I don't and I don't know if I from everything that we've heard, I don't think that five G is really relevant as relevant to the DDO conversation as a lot of people are making it out to be. I think the Dio. I think the Dio has. Um, now there there may have been some conflict that spawned out of it, with Snyder not wanting to launch five G out of this Death Metal series that's coming out. Um, but really, I think it's just if you look at the publishing, uh, 
history of DiDio, it is one that is on a long-term downward trend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anyone in that position, it's a creative position. You can't, you can't stay, you can't keep the same person in that position for that long without seeing stagnant returns, right? And stagnant results. So I think, I think DC did the, or Warner or whoever, made the right move just from a strictly creative point of view, right? Well, and again, we don't know if that was the reason the decision was made. It could be an internal personnel thing that we'll never know. It could be buried in an HR file somewhere. You don't sure. know. Just don't know. Well, and you know, he he had his detractors with regard to some of the things like with Eddie, Eddie Berganza. And uh, kind of uh, a lot of people said, well, you know, DiDio and, and Harris enabled Eddie Berganza, who was, uh, there were accusations of um, harassment, harassment, sexual harassment towards some female uh, DC, I don't know, staffers or interns or Junior whatever. Or something. And um, it, it just got to the point where apparently they just said, well, we just won't have any female any females work in, in that department or something like that. And so he's gotten some feedback, some, some grief, some pushback for that. And if that's true, rightfully so, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think that, you know, our biggest problem again with the DO was that the guy was just hemorrhaging money from a company that, that, that is, that should be top dog, you know, and, and, his refusal to take any advice from the people. People would throw pleas at DC, especially in some of these retailer boards, and say, please do this, please do that. Understand that this is not... We forgot one other big catastrophe. Oh, please tell me. Batman 50. Yeah. And how he just sat idly by and let the whole shitstorm brew... About this big batrimony and everybody and their brother going out with these big parties and all sorts of stuff. And then delaying and delaying and delaying and then silently saying, okay, yeah, you can return them. Yeah, that's... I mean, that... Granted, Tom King's the writer. Mm -hmm. But Tom King is not the marketing police. And that was the last big marketing push that DC's done. The little cards to go by the register that were invitations to the wedding. Right. I mean... That precipitated so much change. That was when the co-op program disappeared. I mean, it was well, I don't, well, just actually, boom. No, that's a great that's a great thing to bring up because that leads into something else that you're going to like. Oh, does it have to do with signage? It does. <laughs> so, well, DC had for many years something. Co- and we actually never took advantage of this, maybe for better or worse, but we never took advantage of it. Uh, they had something called the co-op program where you would earn sort of a, a kitty, if you will. Like a rolling... Mm-hmm. Every so many months, the the dollars were readjusted. Or Correct. And this is an amount that you had in what was called the co-op fund or whatever, based upon the amount of DC that you ordered. And uh, the, the co-op program, it was called co-op because if you would get certain advertising or marketing material approved by DC, you could use the money in your co-op 
to, to help pay for costs. up to 50% right. of that. So if you wanted to do but a But it print, had to be DC-only advertising, so you couldn't have Batman and Spider-Man. Right. So if you wanted to do a print ad in your local newspaper, or you wanted to even... Let's say you wanted to do a... a uh, I don't know, a, a TV commercial on WB18 at 3 in the morning during a rerun of Farscape that would cost $400 or something. And it was just pushing the fact that you could go into the store and buy DC. DC tra- look at all the DC trades. They would cover $200 of that, right. which is pretty neat. Or I saw a lot of examples, uh, unfortunately, a lot of it having to do with Batman 50 where people had had taken imagery that was provided... Uh, promotional imagery and gotten wedding cakes to have on the release date of Batman 50. <laughs> now you're laughing at this, but do you remember how many stores posted these wedding cakes? Yes, and how many stores actually had weddings, legit legal they, weddings? They actually did. Now a lot of people were posting asking DC if the wedding cake cost would be covered by co-op and to give DC credit, I mean that's a, I mean that's a goofy thing, but DC did it. Well, they said we we will because we will honor it as part of the co-op program. Right. Originally, they weren't going to. So, if you bought a hundred dollar wedding cake, DC paid fifty bucks out of your co-op program. Uh, you know, it's it was a neat idea. Actually, the the one time that the co-op program really went nuts, if I recall correctly, was New Fifty Two. I think they would cover one hundred percent of the advertising. Uh, I mean, obviously, you couldn't exceed your co-op. So right. if it was a two thousand dollar billboard and you had eight hundred dollars in your co-op, you were shelling out twelve hundred. But I think that they that you could use one hundred percent of your co-op on that, and that was the only time that I believe that they had ever done that. But and I could be wrong. But either way, last year, in sort of a uh, not not with the bang, but a but a whimper. They just sort of said, oh, the co-op program's going away, by the way. It wasn't way. even a whimper. It was more like a whoopee cushion fart. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind so, of done. So they took that away. At the same time, they introduced these uh, gl- these LED signs. Right. You may have seen... Acetate. Them. Right. They were acetate inserts for an LED backlit sign. Correct. Yes. You may have seen these at your local shop. Maybe. I mean, they look decent. They look they look cool they look cool enough. Um, they're they're sort of like marquee, uh, yeah, like movie poster movie signs, posters, yeah. Where you open the you know you you pop open the um, the front the the, kinda... the top the bottom and the sides. Yep. I think they flip open, and you can change out these inserts. Well, what happened was they if you bought them the first year, you would get. The year's worth of inserts with the sign. The sign was two hundred fifty bucks for the sign. Two hundred bucks. Two hundred. It was like it was like one hundred ninety five dollars or something. But then, because of the size of it, the shipping you had to yada, pay yada, shipping, yada. which I think it ended up making about two twenty five. <clears throat> uh, sounds right. Um, anyway, and the the thing if you uh, the offer they had was if you ordered that sign, then you could buy for the first year if you wanted to buy additional inserts you could buy them for twenty five dollars. For a year's worth of inserts, or or not an or and, the following year, the second year, you would pay twenty five dollars 
For the second year's inserts. For the second year's inserts. It's four inserts a year, I think. Four inserts a year. Quarterly. So there are a couple of a couple of things that started popping up. Now, we didn't do it for a couple of reasons, but the biggest one is we just don't have anywhere to put it. Right. We Now, we have a large store, but we don't have a lot of open wall space to put something like that. Uh, and even and if we, we sure as hell we're going to put it outside. Yeah, well, so we didn't get one. Um, but we certainly follow a lot of a lot of the retailer stuff online and we we know a couple we have a couple of retailer friends that have gotten several of them and uh what happened was the the planning for these inserts was poor to say the least now if i recall correctly the last year a couple of them were inserts for books where the insert for this glow this glowing sign came out after the book was released and wasn't was one of them Watchmen after the TV series had already come out? One of them was an advertisement for Watchmen after the show had come out on HBO. The other thing is, and again, we didn't get the sign, so I can't speak one hundred percent for it. But I had someone who got them complain to me that they're sending out promotional signs. For something that's on HBO yes. that you can't sell it in a nothing store, nothing to do with product in the store. So that that sounds right there sounds like a bad idea. Oops, well, anyway, what happened this year was uh, all the retailers that bought their signs last year get billed earlier this year for their ins- their first insert eighty dollars, and they said, "What gives? We ordered, we, you know, in good faith." You said it's pay, in the solicit for the original. It's frames. in the solicit. <laughs> You pay two hundred dollars or whatever for the sign for the first year, and then the second year you get them for twenty five bucks. And DC comes out and says, "Oh, that was a mistake. Yeah, the, they, our, it cost more than that to it, make. Yeah, it cost more than that to make them, or something like that." And they said, "No, no, no." Well, we start hearing rumblings from some people about well, we from from some of the usual suspects that uh, this is the kind of thing where uh, maybe the words class action could fit in, and. Lo and behold, DC ended up going back and said, "Okay, we're gonna do we're gonna do twenty five bucks. Don't worry about it. Don't don't worry about it. Next year they're gonna be eighty, but right now they're twenty five bucks. So they got sort of caught with their pants down, and uh, they had to make up for it and honor the, you know, it's a bait total bait and switch. Oh yeah. But this is something where this is very, very representative of how DC is right now as a company, where. Can you, you know, everybody listening to this, I'm sure you have very different careers and very different occupations. But can you imagine a job? I'm going to speak. You know who I'm going to I'm going to address this to right now. I'm going to address this to Kyle, Kyle Ellinger, who I know works as a uh, he's a beer and wine buyer, right? Yeah, he works in the the beer and wine section at uh, a grocery store chain, large would, national grocery store chain. I would bet you that Kyle. And his position does not have to pay money to advertise no. for the product that he's selling. In fact, I'm willing to bet that they're probably throwing promotional material at him. DC expects you to pay top dollar. They're the. This is this is what we what we look at, and and this is the biggest difference between the two companies. DC is complaining that these acetate inserts for this sign. They're not going to make any money on it if they sell it at $25. Marvel 
sends more free promotional material out to us in a month than we can literally give away. Yeah. So one of them is concerned about making money off of promotional material to the stores. The other company is saying, here, just take it. If you don't want it, that's Throw it fine. Away. Throw it out. <laughs> yeah, it's gotten so bad to the point with Marvel where they've actually been able to institute a line item where you can remove yeah, your free, free promotional stuff. stuff if you don't want it. So what is going on? I mean, that's my question is why... Why can Marvel do it? But with DC, it's like, nah, we're not making money off the promotional stuff. We're, we're not going to do it. Right. And grudgingly, grudgingly, I guess we'll honor the price that we promised when you bought into this ridiculous thing. Um, which, I mean, good for them, I guess, that they had to do it. But it's it doesn't make any sense to me. And that that's part and parcel of the stuff that I saw with the deal where it's, I don't, there's just a, this disconnect between the company and between this, the retailer, and and they to charge us money to advertise for their product. It's one thing if we get a really cool Superman light up S, you know, like a like a LED Superman or a bat similar green light. I get it. I mean, that's a cool thing. Like, yeah, yeah we should pay for that. Sto- yeah, like a, a three hundred dollar light. Right. Okay. Especially when like a neon tube and whatever. But to to but to make somebody pay for HBO tw- advertisement or twenty. <laughs> but even and and we might have been wrong about that. I was like, I no, said, we're, we're not just, wrong about that. Okay, but regardless, it's like we're we're buying the books. We we didn't buy the sign, but let's just hypothetically say that we did. We bought the light up sign, the holder for it. Now we're gonna pay twenty dollars for an acetate insert to advertise a product that we're already buying, and in many cases we've already sold because it came late, or or yeah, already put our orders in for, <laughs> yeah. so that they, we're not benefiting from it at all. It there's a complete disconnect there, and it's I I, I want to see a change. I really do. I would love. I want our Marvel sales. Well, I want our Marvel sales to go up. They're really good, but I want them. Let's to go have up. every sale go up, right? But I want to see DC rise to rise to be parody with Marvel, right? And and maybe they will now, but the it just seems to me that the biggest impediment to that happening was the deal, and that is why for us we're not cheering that someone lost their job, but we're just happy that it's maybe, time for change, right? That maybe now this company instead of treading water for us can actually can actually make some money and to round it back to a point you made at the very very beginning as it pertained to dc comics it dan didio made his brand the forefront of dc comics and that can serve him well in the future depending on what he does he has a brand he has a name he has awareness he has a lot about personal brand and the fact that a lot of these guys you know you look at it the closest thing that I can think of to Dan DiDio as far as the instance of his firing would be Axel Alonso and when he was let go. Now Alonso is over at AWA with Bill Jamas. And there I we just put the our FOC order in for the first wave of AWA books. Uh, I think they're off to a strong start with yeah. what they're offering. So then, those upshot books that they've been giving us to kind of Yep. The uh, they're they're I hesitate to call them an ash can because they're square bound thick books, but that black and white they're trade you know, size yeah yeah the teaser to get you know the first bite of everything. So I think the, what we're saying about a personal brand is that we didn't Dio, have to pay for it. That's right. That's perfect. Didio's a guy. He's made a lot of connections. 
People know who he is. He's got a recognizable face. He's got a recognizable name. Didio's going to be fine. Yeah. And he was making a very large salary. You get dismissed from a role like that you're, unless you've done something incredibly illegal. It's called a golden parachute. You're going to get a golden parachute, which is usually a 6- to 12-month severance package and a number of other things. And who knows, having worked for Warner and now AT&T, I'm sure he has a stock package that was part of his compensation. So, again, not to diminish the fact that a person lost their job, but that is the risk you run of being a high-level executive in any business, let alone you know, a Fortune 500 or media entertainment megalopy, whatever their non-monopoly but mega term is. Yeah, he's not exactly like uh, Gil from The Simpsons. Oh, no. what'll Gil do tomorrow to pay the bills, you know? I I, I think DiDio will be fine. He's, like, like we said, he's built a great personal brand. He'll be... And he's at a point in life where if he chose to retire, he could. I think sure. he's right around 60 um, so I think he's at that he age won't. where he, he won't. won't. He's he's too. That's the, the he's number one thing that everyone's energy. right. Everyone says about him. He's passionate. He's got energy. Yeah, he loves the medium. But who and knows? That's great. He's a grandpa now, so maybe yeah, he might take a couple years to you know be grandpa and then figure out what he wants to do. And I and I we both wish him well. You know Absolutely. we don't we don't have sour grapes over him as a person. Well, in fact, if you if you go back, I think this is the most callbacks that we've ever made to talking about previous episodes but if you go back i think episode three was uh the rebirth with didio and jim yeah Lee. we 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 spent a lot of time talking about how much we enjoyed meeting didio and and how much we enjoyed his passion and enthusiasm for for dc and this is before rebirth and we thought man what a hell of a guy and and at the time maybe he was the right guy you know and and the excitement was palpable, but I I had said to we had talked about um, the road show and how they had had been planning to do a road show, which I'm sure is off now because I think that was more of a Dan thing. And the the first time that we went to the to the last road show pre rebirth, um, pre birth, yeah, we were very we were very excited. I mean, almost I guess you might almost call it starstruck, you know, just oh, that. Yeah. That it was it was new and this whole experience was something that we hadn't been through before and so a lot of the people, a lot of the, a lot of the well known outspoken retailers, like DB, um, we were always like, what are these guys smoking? Like talking about how how, you know, DC's not paying their bills and stuff. Like how? Come on. And we went. We 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 heard Dio speak. We met Dio. He was great to us that first time that we met him. Uh, we we really, you know, we were we were big fans of Didio, and we were we were big cheerleaders for him back then. And I think to go full circle from that, well, actually, would that be a one eighty? I think we're kind of going full circle. <laughs> we we appreciate We've what done he, a lot of circles. <laughs> we have we appreciate what he did at the yeah. time. Yep. And and we're not somebody that we've never we've we haven't always been Didio haters or anything. We're not Didio haters, but we just some of the practices didn't work. We've come around from from being excited enthusiastic about dc under his leadership to seeing that under his leadership dc got stagnant so we're hoping and we're hoping things get get better we're hoping sales increase the one thing and this is the the biggest concern that i had and i said this um you know a long time ago before well before anything 
last week came out was that as as much as I think for the health of the publisher and for the health of a lot of retailers, there should be a change in DiDio's position. Mm-hmm. I did have a worry that DiDio may have been the only thing standing between a complete sort of corporate restructuring of DC and the publishers we know it, you know? So I'm, I'm hoping that that's not the case, but I guess we're going to find out. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, things are either going to, they're, they're going to get far more corporatized or, or they're not. I mean, they're going to change or they're going to be the same. And, and you know what? Maybe uh, far more corporatized isn't a bad thing because I'm pretty sure when WB has movies and TV shows they want to promote, they give out free promotional material. And I'm pretty sure that every franchise and you know kiosk AT and T store has plenty of AT and T merch to yeah you know, which is interesting when you look at films and you think, all right, here's a here's a some new movie that that costs uh, sixty million dollars to make, but its marketing budget's forty million. Right. You know, and that's kind of built into that expectation where it's like well now it's a hundred million dollar movie right i I, and how many movies completely bomb a lot of them right a lot of them but you don't get you don't really get that approach with comics anymore i mean the if we had to talk about the companies that actually that go above and beyond to push or to give us an idea of what's coming out and and to push promotional material mad cave does a really good job of it Yes, they, they always do. are sending us preview copies and they're sending bookmarks or sending stickers. Um, Valiant does a really good job of mm-hmm. it. Valiant a lot of a lot of um a lot of publishers will send out like advanced PDFs to retailers because one of the things the retailers complain about is they say, How can we order correctly if we don't know what the book is? Right. So Valiant's good about that, but then they go beyond that, and they send us physical product. They just so, sent us uh, that baseball, and they'll send. Uh, We've gotten box cutters, lanyards. Doctor Mirage, I think, had that lava lamp. Yep. So they send some really cool stuff to get people excited about their product. Yep. Oh, um, the countdown, the ticker, the safe that they had for that one. Yeah. Then didn't they have like the zombie outbreak safety kit? And yep, they all had for blood. They shot, had a bloodshot first aid kit. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. So they send out cool stuff like that, and that gets us excited and gets us to to look at something. It's totally goodwill. Yeah, we don't it, pay anything for it, right? And it gets us to, to look at something we wouldn't otherwise consider as much. Not to say we wouldn't consider a valiant title. We order all the valiant titles, but like maybe we wouldn't have gone heavy on Doctor Mirage. But like, here's a really cool little press pack with a lava lamp. A description of Doctor Mirage, maybe a preview copy of Doctor Mirage, so we pay attention to it, right. you know. And then instead of ordering two Doctor Mirage, maybe we order ten. But if if they can get that across a hundred stores, that's a huge increase for them. So I, I there's a lot of companies that do really good stuff like that. That and, and let's face it, Valiant is a much smaller company. Mad Cave, even let's just go look at Mad Cave. Mad Cave compared to a giant like DC, how come Mad Cave can afford to send all this cool stuff out and DC can't? Another thing, let's. I, I we can keep going on this, but I want to bring up one more thing. When DC, so everybody knows that Marvel has their own separate in, uh, separate insert that goes into the previews magazine, and DC was. And do about, you remember why they did that? 
Well, yeah, it goes back to the cover, the, the cover deal, right? Because so the Heroes World was for those that don't know, it ultimately shook out that I believe DC got ten of the twelve months of covers for the previews catalog, and Marvel couldn't stand to not at least have equal, so they created their own insert to make sure every because, month they because have their DC own. signed on exclusive to Diamond, Diamond when Marvel was still doing Heroes yep. World all, all by themselves. Yep. So, <clears throat> and then Heroes World, of course bombed um but marvel's had their own insert for forever dc what is it about two years ago longer than that maybe three i don't even know if it was three i think they started putting it out before we moved over here i think it was at the old location that those started coming out yeah i lose track of time let's just say let's just say two and a half years um marvel will send us Above and beyond, maybe maybe we'll get... Let's say that we order 40 or 50 copies of previews. Marvel sends us like 150 Marvel previews. Right. And we give them out to people. We put them out for free. DC will <laughs> often not only send us not the correct amount to match our... Sometimes they... Here's a great example. Uh, for pre... When we order previews, we get our... We get our complimentary copies we of get previews. A, yeah, store copies. So we get two copies of previews that like we don't pay for because we order out of it. Right. Then we get the copies that we order for customers. And uh, for a while, we were getting our DC previews in only such a number when they decided that they were going to get out of regular previews and, and copy Marvel to do their own. And only such a number to match the amount that we were paying for. They forgot to account for the complimentary copy. Or something like that. For multiple months. So we were always short on the DC previews. Now DC was kind enough to allow us to order extra copies for 75 cents a piece. So generous. Whereas again, Marvel, boom, they're hitting us with... Double to triple the numbers. Right, and we're giving them out to people. I mean, Mar- we're people giving them are- out to the recycling man at the end of the month. Unfortunately. Well, some of them, but we're giving. <laughs> but we get people that come in and they and they just they know maybe they don't want to buy previews, but they can get. They know Marvel previews is free, and guess what books they get on their pull list? They, they add They're a lot of Marvel. Marvel. The, I'll tell you the one that had the most effect out of any Marvel previews was just from last week, which is Wolverine One. We had so many people. They, they were excited about Wolverine 1 that added it onto their pull list because they grabbed a free Marvel previews. And they're, oh, there's a Wolverine coming back, they would say. DC, we're not going to pay 75 cents to hand out some right. DC preview to people that may or may not read it. It's like Marvel wants... Marvel does what it takes to get awareness of their product into the hands of a consumer. DC expects us to pay for promotional material to buy product to sell to customers. And I don't like that. And it just it it there's not any I can't think of another industry where I I I can't think I can't even picture if I had a liquor store that uh, Goose Island is going to charge me to put a Goose Island light up sign in the window. I was going to say you'd have to buy a Miller High Life mirror to put on the wall. Right. You know or or anything else. I mean like if I had a if I had a shoe store, am I going to have to pay Nike to put up a Nike big swoosh. Nike swoosh display? No, they're going to. The, the, it's so this industry is so backwards with the way we are expected to push product. We're we're 
supposed to, to be thrilled beyond belief that DC is allowing us to pay money to buy a sign, to pay money to put inserts in it, to sell some books that we have to buy from DC anyways. Don't forget, they've given us two free posters. Remember we got the big horizontal rebirth one? And we got the one that came out with that catalog of all of their trades and hardcovers that they had in stock. Well, they get, and they give us more than that. I mean, we get posters from DC. We don't put a, really put the promotional posters up because, again, we don't have room. But I, the, the, the way that they run all that stuff, it's just I'm going to keep going on and on if I, if I don't stop now. But it's like that it's, it's all symptomatic of, of misdirection at the top. And and hopefully that all changes for us now. I for a yeah. lot of retailers and let's let's face it, this month we have seen or actually January we've seen a lot of store closings, mm-hmm. right? And I haven't heard as many in February, but it only makes sense that you're going to see a lot of them in January because they want to get through the end of the year. They want to sell a lot of their product. Hey, we're having a Christmas sale or whatever it is, but it's really kind of. We don't want to tell anyone it's going out of business sale yet, but could move a lot of product. Yep. Now it's January. We're looking at everything. We got to close up. You know, we're not making whatever. There's a lot of stores that are closing. There's four so far that we've seen close in this state alone or announced that they're closing. I think two of them have closed up already. Anyways, uh, making a store pay to promote your product that they sell it's just it's beyond the pale to me it's beyond the pale and they're not they're not seeing what's going on in this industry well and if if your company's profit is dependent on selling promotional materials you're in the wrong business right plain and simple totally well does that wrap it up for this one yeah I guess again I mean this is I think you and I both could we could I don't want to say vent, but we can keep going about it. There's just um, a lot of examples. Yeah, and and I wish we could say, I wish we could end this saying, under the leadership of whoever, we look forward to uh, what DC is going to be putting out over the next year. We don't know what's going on. We have no idea who's stepping in. We have no idea what's going to happen. We just know it's the end of an era, a long era, a decade long era, if not 15 years. And Didio is with the company for 15 years, right? Yep. He's been publisher since 20 2008 12 years something like that maybe a little bit i don't know but you know just like any other large company it's it's uh time to shake things up and uh, restart fresh and, and hopefully we can see uh, a dc resurgence change is inevitable yeah all right Well, thank you all for uh, listening in on this one. We will hopefully be back in March with another episode. So for myself and for James, we will... And hopefully with a a different topic. (laughs) Yeah, maybe a little something more upbeat. Yeah. Okay. Well, for James and myself, we will talk to you next time.